Hey, Playmakers, real quick before we get into today's episode, if you're one of those listeners that just cannot wait for that next episode to drop, and if you're over on YouTube and my website binging my content there, I just wanted to say thank you. It means the world to me. But just remember, the free stuff will only get you so far. So if you want my complete proven blueprint for opening a successful and sustainable play cafe or indoor playground business that is profitable from day one, I want to invite you to join me inside my signature course, Play Cafe Academy. Head to the show notes right now to get instant on-demand access to all 12 modules, your detailed pre-launch checklist, your 34-page business plan template, your plug-and-play financial model to help you estimate your startup costs and project your revenue, and everything you need to save time, money, and frustration throughout your entire opening process. For a limited time right now, you'll also get an entire month of free access to Playmaker Society, my invite-only membership created exclusively for Play Cafe Academy students who want to work with me personally to optimize and scale their businesses through coaching, guest experts, legal and operations templates, and plug-and-play resources, plus collaboration with over 220 other owners, plus so much more. Head to the show notes and choose your preferred way to pay in full or over time right now. You'll get more information on the current bonuses. You'll see some success stories of those who have gone before you and exactly what to expect when you join us inside the program. I will see you there. If you're in the play and party business and you want to operate with more ease and joy, all while making the living you dreamed of, I created the Profitable Play Podcast just for you. Join me, your host, Michelle Caruana, for Small But Mighty Tips Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays that will all add up to a big impact on your mindset, your business, and your bottom line. Stick with me to keep the passion and grow the profit in your play or party-based business. All right, Playmakers. So in the last episode, we talked about how January is often thought of as a time of reflection and renewal as it's the start of a brand new year. And if you live anywhere similar to where I live in New York, you're probably sitting next to a space heater, just like I am right now, trying to keep warm. But now in this episode, I need to take you all the way to summertime. And while it may not feel like summer outside your window, I need you to enter that state of mind right now, at least for the next few minutes. That's right. In this episode, we are talking all about summer camps. Because if you live in an area where drop-off camps during the school off-season are popular, now is the time you need to start promoting what you offer. In fact, my eight-year-old already has all of his summer camps chosen and We will be registering by next week, and that's not uncommon. While I couldn't find a specific data point on this, speaking from anecdotal experience, so my own experience and that of my friends and people that I've asked, when we've looked at options in April and May, everything was already booked and the waiting lists were even full. And when I have business owners come to me and say that camps just haven't been successful for them, the first thing I ask is when they started really promoting or pushing them. 
And pretty much like clockwork, they typically say they started promoting them around, you know, the end of March or April or even the May timeframe when everyone already has their summer plans mapped out and is no longer looking. It's kind of like, you know, the snow thawed and they had their first 60 degree day and they thought, oh shit, my open play and party revenue is about to slow down. I need a plan to make up for that revenue over the summer. And maybe, you know, that person did some Googling and threw together a hasty summer camp schedule and registration page and, you know, just kind of threw it out into the world only to hear crickets from even their best customers. And even worse, sometimes they would get one to two registrations per week, you know, per camp week and end up having to cancel and refund disappointing their customers and losing out on that revenue because they would have just lost so much money if they actually ran the camps with that low of registration numbers. And if you're wondering how I crafted that quote-unquote hypothetical story with such detail, including the profanity, which I apologize for, by the way, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. I did exactly that my first year in business. And spoiler alert, our camps didn't do so hot that first year. In fact, I only ended up being able to host one or two and pretty much broke even on them despite spending tons of time, money, and energy promoting them in those few months prior to summer. So the next year, I started my planning process before the holidays and I fully launched our camps before January even ended. I had my camp leaders hired. I had my marketing assets planned. I put time and thought into creating an efficient schedule and crafting fun themes. And it ended up being a smashing hit that year and for the remaining years to come. And I'm not talking just revenue-wise because, yes, they absolutely made up for the slower parties and open play that we saw during the summer, But it was also such a wonderful experience for the customers and most importantly, for the kids that we welcomed through our doors. Now, we did make some mistakes, which I'll share, you know, throughout this and the next episode, but we were able to learn from one week to the next and make continual adjustments and tweaks. And by the end of that first summer, really going all in on camps, we were running like a well-oiled machine and we were absolutely ready for the next set of campers the following year. But if you never get the chance to actually executing a camp, either from promoting them too late or without much strategy, you'll never be able to make those strides and ultimately reach that place of summer success. So let's talk about the planning and promotion of summer camps in this episode. Then in the next episode, episode 159, We'll talk about some tips I have for actually executing the camps so that people leave glowing reviews, share their positive experiences with friends, and continue booking your services. All right, so here are 10 of my tips for planning and promoting your summer camps. And yes, you better believe we are already sharing and collaborating like crazy about summer camps over in Playmaker Society. So if you are not yet a member, now is the perfect time to enroll or apply. As a reminder, if you are a Play Cafe Academy student or decide to enroll in that program, it's 
linked in the show notes, you will automatically get an invite. If you are a current owner that's open and operating already but have not taken the course, you can still apply to become a member without it. And that application link is also in the show notes. All right, tip number one, start promoting early. Now, I know you're probably rolling your eyes because I've already said this multiple times, but I really wanted to just hammer it home here and add it to the official list of tips. This episode is your sign to stop putting off summer camp planning and just get it done. It will make filling up your camps so much easier and it will save you from having to overly promote them as you get closer to your first camp date. And you're going to save on advertising costs as well. Even if you don't have all the details or a registration page yet, start at least planting the seed with your in-person customers and on social media. Start talking about camps and posting about it and tease an upcoming announcement. That will help help get people excited for your offer. You can even start a waiting list using a tag and automation on any email service provider that you may have. So when it's time to release your registration link, you already have a set of interested families who have raised their hands and said, yes, I want to hear more about it. All right, number two, put thought into your themes and make them specific. This is going to sound a bit counterintuitive, but after all, most things in this industry end up being that way, don't they? But my most successful camp themes have been the most specific and highly targeted. Now, I know I'm probably going to get some differing opinions on this, but as always on this podcast, I'm sharing my specific experience. And this is not just one year of experience. This is over the five years of hosting summer camps. So what do I mean by this? My first year promoting camps, I tried to do a mix of more specific camps and camps that were geared towards a general interest that every kid would like. So for example, I'd have a Trolls camp, which was a popular movie at the time, which was very specific. And you know, all the snacks, all the activities, all the crafts, everything would be themed around the Trolls movie. And then I'd throw in a zoo animal camp or you know, water fun or something more general. And let me tell you, the highly targeted, very specific camps booked early and very quickly, and the waiting list booked up as well. We have to remember, even as adults, that young children have very specific honed-in interests and passions. And even though these may be ever-fleeting and changing, I found that tapping into these laser-specific interests can be highly effective, even with something that has to be booked well in advance, like a summer camp, because, you know, my kids were very much obsessed with the Trolls movie. And then eight months later, even when they weren't watching it every single day, they would still hear the songs or see it playing on TV or at a TV at a restaurant or something and get so excited because they remembered how deeply interested they were at that time. Now, I share more details about what each camp entails in terms of snacks, activities, and crafts inside of Playmaker Society, but some of my most successful themes have been Princess Camp, Dinosaur Camp, um, any popular movie or show camp. So again, for my example, I use Trolls, but 
You could do Bluey Camp or Paw Patrol Camp or something like that. We also had a ton of success with American Girl Doll Camp. And no, we didn't require an American Girl Doll. We just used the name and then they could bring in any similarly sized doll. And then finally, Superhero Camp. Those were all of our best sellers. Some camp themes that booked okay, but not quite as well were mini Picasso Camp. So kids that loved art. Messy sensory camp for kids that like getting messy and for parents who didn't want to deal with all that DIY and clean up at home. And then little movers camp, which was really geared towards kids that needed to move and be very engaged physically. Some camps that flopped for us. And again, this was just my experience. And I tried this multiple times where under the sea camp, zoo animal camp and nature explorers camp. Those ones just didn't end up booking. And next we're going to talk about why. And that brings us to tip number three, lean into what makes your camps and your space unique. So a probable reason why many of these camps flopped is that our space was just not set up to execute these themes properly. So for example, why would someone register their child for an inside water fun camp and have them dip their toes in like a bucket when they could register for the YMCA camp down the street and get their kids to go on a slip and slide all week or run through the sprinklers outside? Or why would they sign their sensory seeking child up for a climbing type camp in a space that only had room for one teeny tiny obstacle course and was much more imaginative focused? Once I learned to disregard what everybody else seemed to be doing and leaned into what made our space unique, I was really able to gain my footing and again, start effortlessly selling out my camps. Put so many tongue ties in this episode today. So sorry about that. I would encourage you to whip out your notepad and write down some bullet points about your space and what you could potentially offer that's different from some of the large, larger, mostly outdoor camps. And you can draw inspiration from your other services like parties as your list of differentiation items will be similar. If you need some inspiration, here is our list of positive, unique qualities about our summer camps that made us different. Number one, we had small group sizes, so 12 to 15 kids, whereas the YMCA would see hundreds of kids every single day. Our camps were all indoor and out of the sun. Our camps were only three hours long as opposed to all day. Our camps were in the afternoon, whereas a lot of camps took place in the morning. And that's because we did open play in the morning, by the way. We closed in the afternoon for camp. Our camps were in a relaxed and controlled environment, unlike something, again, like a YMCA. Next, our camps were operated by certified teachers, which I'll talk about in a little bit, even if you feel like you can't afford it. I promise you, you can. And then finally, our camps were very food allergy safe. And when I talk to food allergy parents, a lot of them look for these smaller indoor camps that are led by teachers who really understand more so than like a teenager or even a college student would about keeping their kids safe from uh, contagions or allergens rather. Now, I was sure to carefully list all of these unique camp qualities on all of our marketing materials and our registration pages, 
not only allowing parents to quickly and easily understand if our camps were of interest to them, but it also helped us come up with themes that would really work and would help us lean into these strengths. Because we were in a smaller, more controlled indoor environment, we could do things other camps couldn't. So for example, we could do more intricate, more detailed crafts, like make outfits for the American Girl dolls. Or we could have a really peaceful dress-up style tea party at Princess Camp. Because we had no more than 12 to 15 campers at a time, we could really put a lot of thought and detail into the itineraries and activities, which parents loved and raved about online. We were not like a summer camp factory like the YMCA or another big box company might seem like. And I know I've been mentioning the YMCA a lot. I am not knocking them. It's just a very different experience than what we plan to offer. Because we were indoors, our camps were also air conditioned and not weather dependent. And it was much safer in the minds of a lot of parents, especially in very young children. Parents could be confident that their children were safe and contained, again, I keep saying this, but in a controlled environment and not exposed to the elements and not transferring spaces at any time. So I've noticed that a lot of camps will like do field trips and bus, which can be nerve wracking, especially for first time parents and parents sending their children to camp for the first time, even if they're not first time parents or who have children who tend to wander like me my kid runs off any chance they get, those parents will definitely be attracted to these line items as they are uncommon for summer camps. Safety is huge for parents when considering summer camps. So if your space can stand out in that specific area, make it very well known and list all of your safety precautions that you currently take in your space and any trainings or certifications your staff may have like CPR or anything like that. The rest of the line items that I kind of mentioned above probably speak for themselves, but again, I encourage you to create your own specific list. And again, even if it feels like you're talking about it too much, make sure you list those bullet points any chance you get. All right, number four, carefully consider your age range. So similar to leaning into your strengths, be sure to offer camp uh, to ages that you feel comfortable accommodating and can legally do so. So before you put anything out into the world, call your local health department to ask about regulations regarding age, length of care per day without a daycare license, adult to child ratio requirements, and diaper changing regulations, just to name a few. You may be very unique if you offer camps for young toddlers and preschoolers since Many places avoid that age range, but also understand that you will likely need more staff to care for the same number of children in this age range, as opposed to like, you know, five to eight-year-olds. And things like toilet training and changing diapers are things you may not want to contend with. And it may certainly be things that your staff didn't sign up for and doesn't want to do. We generally accepted children older than our typical play age customer because our camps were structured and had lots of activities other than open playtime. We felt really confident because of this that we could safely and joyfully occupy children, you know, five to eight years of age for three hour increments 
and give them a great experience, even though we typically served younger children. Also, because we offered open play in the mornings and summer camps in the afternoon, most toddlers and even many preschoolers were napping during our time slots. So we focused mainly on the younger side of school age children when designing our themes and activities. All right, tip number five, make registration easy to navigate. And I cannot stress this point enough. And this is something I also teach in detail in Play Cafe Academy with examples, but registering, paying, and completing all the necessary forms online is an essential component of a successful summer camp program. Requiring parents to email or inquire about offerings, price, availability, or to book is just not going to allow your business to reach its revenue potential. And if I could say that every single podcast episode, honestly, I would if you wouldn't get so sick of hearing about it. Put all of the information in an easy-to-read format with bullets and plenty of white space, and you can have people click to learn more if you need to, but do not have those large text blocks that are easy or that are difficult to read and are, you know, overwhelming to people and make it simple for parents to choose a date and save their child's spot, whether that's through a deposit or a pay in full option. And if a camp is full, make sure your booking software can have a wait list enabled. According to event booking software company RegPack, when a parent who really wants a specific session or time frame sees that the session is sold out or unavailable, they'll typically do one of two things. They'll either select another option that you have available, and this happens about 27.5% of the time according to their data, and the second option is that they'll open a new browser tab and search for another local camp that has what they want and check out that availability and book with that competitor. And again, according to RegPack, this happens about 58% of the time, according to their user statistics. By creating a waitlist option, you can keep your potential clients on your site longer and lessen that number of people jumping off your site and onto your competition site. We can never accommodate everybody, but again, this will reduce that bounce rate. All right, tip number six, set up communication automation. So speaking of registering, make sure you have all your necessary communication automated as well so parents don't miss out on anything and so they feel completely assured that they have all the information they need. So for example, when someone registers, they should get a confirmation detailing their order information, the you know date and time they selected, as well as everything they need to know about camp, including what to bring with their child, any rules or regulations you may have, frequently asked questions, and any forms they may need to fill out, all that good stuff, and ask them to save or bookmark that email so they can refer to it later. You can either have all of this information inside the body of the email or you can set up a registered campers page on your website. You don't have to have it available like at all times for people. You can have a link that you send people to that isn't easy to find elsewhere on your site, which can kind of act as a catch-all for everything anyone might need to know or do before dropping their child off in your care. 
Now, this was my preferred method. So I would put the highlights in the email body and then say, hey, if you want to download the forms, if you need any questions answered, anything like that, click this link. This page has everything you need to know because it's honestly easier for them to bookmark a link than it is to save an email because I know my inbox is crazy. And if they're registering in January for a camp in August, it can definitely be easy to lose track of it. But manually emailing families as they register or you know, trying to handle, handle it that way is the easiest way to ensure that something will slip through the cracks and it will cause confusion and stress for both your staff and yourself and your customer. Remember, these parents intend to leave their children in your care. Make sure you start the relationship off with them on the right foot and begin to establish that trust and professionalism. All right, tip number seven, offer early bird discounts or waived registration fees. So something that we added onto all of our marketing materials for our camp, so posters, brochures, all that good stuff, was a registration fee, which depending on the year, was between $25 and $50. Nothing crazy, but something that was big enough to make people think twice. So the idea behind a once-per-year registration fee is that once a family pays it once, they're incentivized to book more and more weeks of camp because that fee is already paid, right? That's a sunk cost. So the more weeks of camp they book with that same registration fee, the smaller that fee seems in their mind. However, between you and I, we never intended to collect any registration fees. And in reality, we very rarely did. That's because we waived registration fees for anyone who booked before April 1st. This helped us book our camp sessions early in the season because, again, the fee was high enough to motivate people to make a decision regarding whether or not they wanted to book, and this worked really well for us. All right, tip number eight, consider a referral link or discount. One of our other successful incentives to book was offering those families who registered a referral bonus. We used the event booking software Occasion at the time, and Occasion allowed us to send an automated email to registrants, giving them a unique referral link. So if someone booked camp through their referral link, both would get a dollar off amount for a future service, or they would get a set refund amount on their camp that you choose. Many parents feel more comfortable sending their young children to camp with friends or relatives, maybe cousins, someone that's known to them. So this strategy has many benefits when it comes to boosting your bookings. It's going to have people sharing their link far and wide, spreading the word, leading to increased bookings, but it's also going to make people feel a lot more comfortable and assured. Most event booking softwares, regardless of what you use, have some sort of affiliate or referral functionality, so take a moment this week to check yours out. All right, tip number nine, we're almost there. Hire smart. As I alluded to earlier, one of our differentiating factors for our camps was that we hired certified teachers to run them, often with like a high school-aged assistant that helped in cleaning up and setting up snacks and activities and things like that. But our teachers were really who were, you know, the face of our camps, and they were the ones really participating the most. 
We were able to do this because most teachers are off for the summer months and looking for part-time work, and we often allowed them to have their children accompany them to camp depending on their ages. Now, I often talk about how we never allowed staff to accompany our you know, regular payroll staff members because it wasn't allowed by our insurance policy. But because our camp instructors were 1099 employees, they were not under our workers' comp or disability insurance. So this gave us a loophole to allow them to bring their children safely and legally with them. And because our camps were only a couple hours a day, and because these teachers could bring their kiddos along, again, depending on their ages, this was a huge incentive for teachers to apply. It was a very attractive opportunity. And if you're worried you can't afford to fairly pay a certified teacher, consider a mix of an hourly rate and a bartering agreement. So for example, we paid our teachers a few dollars above minimum wage, plus we offered them a free yearly play pass for their children, which was worth over $600. Since many of the people who applied were regular customers anyways, A free year of play was an extremely valuable perk to them. It saved them a ton of money throughout the year, but it didn't really cost us that much because open play customers don't have a huge direct cost to us. And if you're concerned that they'll overuse the pass and, you know, not leave enough room for paying customers, remember, most teachers work during your busiest open play hours. So I wouldn't let that deter you too much. Now, while I never recommend asking someone to work for an unfair wage, this really worked for us, and most of our camp leaders came back year after year as camp contractors. Once we made our camp leader selections, and to do this, we posted a call on social media around the holidays asking for any teachers that might be interested in the opportunity, and we got dozens and dozens and dozens of applications. We put together bios with photos and fun facts about each camp teacher, including where they taught and what grade. This helped parents feel more comfortable registering their children because there was full transparency and planning in terms of who would be in charge and what qualifications they had. And then finally, tip number 10, create great marketing assets. So in addition to your teacher bios and or videos, We hung up posters with our camp schedule, we made TV graphics, we had brochures, and we scheduled dozens of social media posts to go out alongside our other content during that first quarter of the year where summer camp registration is most common. When creating these assets, make sure that you, again, make your differentiation points clear and make sure everything looks professional and is cohesively branded. And I'm providing my Playmaker Society members templates this year to make sure they're able to accomplish this. Again, this may seem like a small thing, but it goes a long way in establishing trust with potential clients. And don't use stock photos. If this is your first time offering camp, use photos from classes or even kids playing at a party or even just your space and play area, or do a mock camp setup. Parents want to see where they'll be dropping their kids off in as much detail as possible. So be sure to provide real pictures as well as a camp itinerary, even if all you have is 
a general outline. So for example, you can say, you know, from this time to this time, do craft from this time to this time, we'll do play. You don't have to, you know, share what craft you'll be doing, but even just a basic itinerary to give parents an idea of what to expect will really help them make an educated guess on if their child will enjoy it and if they're going to be a good fit. And speaking of camp itinerary, this is where we're going to wrap up today's episode because that concludes 10 of my tips for booking out your summer camps. And in Friday's episode, episode 159, we're going to talk about executing camps in a way that brings your staff, customers, and campers joy. All right. It's literally like snowing, like blizzard snowing outside right now. It felt so weird to think about summer and talk about summer for this half hour, but I hope you enjoyed these tips and found them helpful. So as always, if you enjoyed this episode, the best way that you can show support for me or for the show is to leave a rating and review wherever you are listening. I appreciate it so much and it helps me reach other playmakers just like you. All right. I will see you back here on Friday with more summer camp tips.